powerful is the Cox Network. So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Prog Watch. Music that tells a story with your friend and host, Big Tony Rousick, a.k.a. Prog Squatch. Network. So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. Welcome back to Prague Watch, my friends. This is your old pal, Big Tony, and this week I'm very excited to be bringing you a feature on Ken Hensley, formerly of Uriah Heep. In the early to mid-1970s, Uriah Heep was one of the biggest rock bands in the world. They were mentioned alongside Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple, and Black Sabbath as proponents of a new breed of hard rock, which was starting to be called heavy metal. Of the bands just mentioned, I think Uriah Heep in their heyday was probably the most progressive of the lot. As the keyboardist and sometimes second guitarist of the band, Ken Hensley was integral to the classic Uriah Heep sound. And his compositions such as Look at Yourself, July Morning, Easy Living, Sunrise, and Stealin', to name just a few, really put the band on the map. What some people don't realize is that Hensley was also a great vocalist. Indeed, some folks feel that when David Byron ultimately left the classic Heep lineup, Hensley could have possibly taken over the lead vocals. His voice is very similar in timbre and range to David Byron's. Of course, Ken didn't take over the vocal chores in Uriah Heep, but you can hear his vocal talents on his solo records, which he has been recording since the mid-1970s. In his illustrious career, Ken has also been involved in many other bands, including The Gods, Toe Fat, Blackfoot, and Live Fire, and collaborations with John Lawton and John Wetton. This guy is a true veteran of a bygone rock and roll era, and I was very excited to get a chance to sit down and chat with him about his life and times and what he is up to now. I'll let you hear part of that interview later, but first, let's warm up with some music. This first song is an early Hensley-penned Uriah Heep composition called Look at Yourself, from the album of the same name in 1971.
the Uriah Heep classic Look at Yourself from 1971. Next, let's hear one from Ken's first solo outing called Proud Words on a Dusty Shelf from 1973. This is When Evening Comes.
When Evening Comes by Ken Hensley from his solo debut, Proud Words on a Dusty Shelf in 1973. Moving on, I'll let you hear a song called Illusion from an album that Ken did of reworked Uriah Heep songs in 2004 called The Wizard's Diary Volume 1. We'll hear Illusion from that record, which I'll immediately follow with one from Ken's semi-autobiographical album called Blood on the Highway. The name of that song is We're On Our Way.
down in London In the back of Benny's pub We hit the road and ran the miles Must have played 10,000 clubs From Liverpool to Soho From Hamburg to Berlin Those people were there waiting for The big show to begin And it looked like we were headed for A real crazy ride But we had rock and roll on our side We're on our way No turning back To rule the world We can't go
Again, that was Illusion by Ken Hensley from the album The Wizard's Diary, Volume 1, which was followed by We're On Our Way from his Blood on the Highway album. Now let's hear some of my chat with the man himself, Ken Hensley. First, let me say it's a real pleasure and an honor to have you on my program. Well, it's my pleasure to be there too. Yeah, I've been a huge fan of Uriah Heap for many years, and I've also followed many of your uh, solo exploits. Uh, being a bit of a rock historian, I've got the gods, I've got toe fat, I've got weed, I've got all kinds of good stuff. Oh, you have weed? Oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So um, That's an album that was never really supposed to uh, see the light of day. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a, a record I did for a friend of mine in Hamburg, Germany. He had a band he was managing, and he asked me to write some songs for it. And in the end, I ended up going to Hamburg and recording the whole album with the band. But that, I thought that was the last I would see of it, you know, <laughs> yeah. or hear of it. But, of course, as things developed with Heap and uh, the band got bigger and bigger, so people found ways to capitalize on that, and that's really what Weed was all about. That plus another one called Orgasm that I did for a producer at EMI. So... Yeah, I guess notoriety brings its downsides, sure. too. I've got that orgasm record, too, somewhere. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the history of it is, I mean, no sense in lying. I mean, the history of it, this, this guy, this producer friend of mine from EMI, was hired by a French company to produce a sort of sexually oriented album. <laughs> and he asked me to write the songs. It was just a work for hire, you know. I mean, I just got paid a lump sum of cash. I didn't get paid any royalties or anything. And um, so, you know, I just did it the best I could, which actually in retrospect is not that great, but I did the best I could. And, you know, that that's what ended up. But it's, it's like a lot of stuff surfaced in the early 70s after the band began to become very successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... uh yeah, well, I won't play any of that stuff. You have so much other great stuff to choose from. I mean, <laughs> no, but I mean, I'm being honest with you. I mean, that's just the sure. the origin, the history of the whole thing, really, Tony. Right, and that happens uh, with a lot of artists. You know, some one-off weird thing they did. You know, once they get famous, like the Beatles uh, with uh, whatever that guy Tony Sheridan, or you know, that all of a sudden when they hit it, then they're putting out all this stuff, my Bonnie, and all this stuff, trying to cash in on it. Yeah, and there's still people out there doing that. I, I recently um, uh, did a record, um, a compilation with BMG, uh, Rare and Timeless. Do you have that? I don't yet, but yeah, I was going to talk a lot about that later. Yeah. Let's do that. Um, but I did a, a sort of a launch concert at the Hospital Club in London uh, recently, and um, it one of the people that showed up for that show was somebody who has regularly pillaged um, the vaults of, of Uriah Heep by 
then they were able to walk into like Castle Communications, who owned the catalogue, and sign a contract giving Castle a 21% override, and they gave them the keys to the vault. And uh, they would take stuff and, you know, just completely destroy it. And he's still around. He's still floating around claiming that there's more stuff. Well, hopefully, um, hopefully there isn't because an awful lot of that stuff, Tony, was was uh, not released for very good reasons. Yeah, yeah. Some, yeah. Can't, can't all be gems, right? I mean, you've been in the business for like more than 50 years. So mm -hmm. uh, when you started all those years ago, did you uh, ever imagine you'd still be writing, recording, and touring more than 50 years later? No, absolutely not. Uh, it's an interesting story because uh, I just wrote a piece for some friends of mine at Performing Rights Society in London who are dealing with some mental health issues in association with their benefit fund that they hold for members of PRS who get in trouble, uh, can't pay their rent, can't pay medical bills or whatever. I work closely with them, and uh, they are saying that more and more of their applications for help uh, involve mental health issues. And uh, I just wrote a piece for their magazine, and I, I clearly can say that, you know, even though I worked very hard for many years before uh, Uriah Heap came about and success came about, um, even at the peak of, of Uriah Heep, I never really believed it would last forever. I, I, I knew it was kind of in the back of my mind or somewhere in my heart, I knew that it wouldn't last forever, as it was. Um, so to find myself now not only still around, still healthy, thank God, and um, uh, still very active in many, many different ways, not just treading this, the trodden path, but able to explore other areas um, is, is a huge surprise and uh, something I'm tremendously thankful for. Yeah, blessing. Yeah. Um, Truly a blessing. No yeah. question. So uh, you play keyboards as well as guitar. Did you uh, grow up in a musical environment what, or was it just something that hit you like one day you woke up and said, I'm going to be a rock star? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't quite as abrupt as that or... Or, or a sudden, but I did grow up in a musical family. Her mum was a pianist, the dad was a singer and harmonica player. My grandmother was a honky-tonk piano player. So there was always music in the house, always a piano in the house. And, um, you know, we had street parties in London. There was, yeah, there was a lot of musical influences there, but my earliest days were consumed with... Uh, with football because um, I had an opportunity to be a professional football player and that was my dad's dream. Um, uh, at the age of 11, I, uh, I just made up my mind I wanted to be a rock star because I saw Elvis on the telly and um, by the time I was 16, I pretty much had abandoned my very promising soccer opportunities and devoted myself more or less entirely to jumping on this path to become a rock star i have no idea what i was gonna do but you know it that was my determination so were you were you ever trained did you ever take lessons or anything like that or nope i was always too impatient i i did buy when i got my first guitar i bought a, a book uh by a, a guitar player called bert whedon and uh 
I bought this book because it contained diagrams of all the basic chords that you had to learn. And, you know, I learned some basic chords. But with that and with the piano also, <clears throat> I just was too impatient, in too much of a hurry to learn properly. I, um, I just kind of invented everything as I went along. And luckily, some of it worked out. Luckily, uh, some of it, yeah. Uh, you, you wrote or co-wrote. A lot of really classic heap material in the 70s. Uh, where did you draw your inspiration? What was your writing process like? Oh, okay. Um, <clears throat> well, that's an interesting question because it, it still uh, it relates to what I do today. Um, if anything, Tony, I've always been first and foremost a writer. Um, the instruments became tools with which I turned my poetry into songs. And so, but the, the writing was always first, and it still is, because my songs in those days always started with words, and then the words kind of, somehow my relationship with the words developed the ability to find rhythm and melody within the lyric, and that's where the songs developed. And that's still the case. There was a very practical reason for it back in the 70s, because... You know, there were no small recording devices or any of the modern technology that we have today, even like my phone. I can record ideas on my phone. So essentially, I found myself just scribbling down lyrics in airplanes or cars or bathrooms or wherever, and then trying to convert that into, into a song when I first got my hands on an instrument. So um, it's a little more sophisticated today. <clears throat> because, um, you know, I have access to most of that modern technology and I have guitars and, and a piano in my music room and so I can just adventure as much as I want to and, and pretty freely. And like I said, I can record it all. I, I don't have a studio at home because that has never worked for me and um, I prefer to do all of my actual recording in a, in a different location. Hmm. I'm, I do a little bit of me. I'm, I'm an amateur musician, you know? Uh, but yeah, for me, it was always the opposite. I could, I always had a hard time with the words. I could always come up with some music, like a frame of a song, but the, the mm -hmm. inspiration to write the words was what always, uh, you know, baffled me. Yeah. And, and what's funny about it, Tony, is that I can, uh, I don't co-write or collaborate really hardly ever. Uh, I, I have done it. It's not my most comfortable environment, but, um, if, if by any chance I should happen to write something musical first, I have a tremendous problem adding lyrics to it. I can always work in reverse. I, I can, you know, take the lyric and, and find melody and rhythm in it, but I can't do it the other way around. It, it's just a function of habit. Honestly, we were constantly on tour in the seventies. And so in order to be able to come up with, you know, enough songs for an album every 10 months or so. Um, I had to be writing. Well, I was writing pretty much all the time, um, but it was always just scribbling down lyrics and, and going from there. So um, it, I, I think it's just a habit that, that, that established itself then, and it's stuck even to today. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. 
Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Before we get to the second part of the interview with Ken Hensley, let's hear some more of his music. Let's dip back to a record he did pre-heap in 1968 with the seminal band The Gods. The legendary band The Gods at time featured the likes of Greg Lake, future heap drummer Lee Kerslake, future Jethro Tull bassist John Glasscock, and bluesbreaker and future Rolling Stone Mick Taylor. Some pedigree, huh? Anyway, from the 1968 The Gods album called Genesis, this is Looking Glass. She looks in the looking glass on the wall She can see she's the fairest of them all Makes me do
Looking Glass by Ken Hensley's band, The Gods, from their 1968 debut called Genesis. Nothing to do with a little band you might have heard of by the same name. Moving along, here's another from Hensley's Wizard's Diary Volume 1 album, a beautiful rendition of the Uriah Heep song Rain, which really shows off Ken's voice. That's not unusual Though the way that I'm feeling's becoming usual I guess you could say The clouds are moving away Away from your day
in my tears Measuring carefully my years Shame, shame, shame in my mind See what you've done to my life by Ken Hensley from his Wizard's Diary Volume 1 album in 2004. Next, another from his album Blood on the Highway, a concept album that tells the story of the rise and fall of a rock star in the 1970s. The story ultimately has a happy ending, and Ken will talk more about the album later in the interview. For now, let's listen to It Won't Last.
could be your final choice You're looking at war as chance Straight in the face again Stand up and fight the fight Against all that's wrong inside Just turn and It Won't Last from Ken Hensley's Blood on the Highway album from 2007. Now let's back up a few years to 2003 and an album Ken made called The Last Dance. From that album, this is The Voice of Love.
The Voice of Love by Ken Hensley from his album The Last Dance. Now let's hear part two of my interview with Ken. So uh, out of everything you've written, do you have any uh, favorites that you think, uh, well, this is this is a defining Ken Hensley song right here, you know? Um, well, I, I suspect going back over the years, there's probably quite a lot of them. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> uh, in terms of Uriah Heep, I would have to say that, you know, songs like Easy Living, Look at Yourself, uh, July Morning, and so on and so forth were... Uh, defining moments because they were the songs that really established the band's identity and songs which became heavily in demand, songs which were big hits for the band and made the band quite famous. And, and uh, you know, those songs still live to today. So when I play them either with my live band or, or solo, uh, they still seem to have a sort of a mesmeric effect on the audience. And, um, those are just a few examples. I mean, in my opinion, the, the period of Demons and Wizards was the, the, the most magical time of the band. We were uh, so connected and uh, just speak, speaking, singing, playing with one voice. And uh, so, you know, Paradise and the Spell is an extravaganza, which I'm particularly happy with. And then later on, there are songs which I've written, which uh, – are important to me for a different reason. I mean, I wrote an album called Blood on the Highway, which was just an adventure into trying to musically illustrate the life of a rock star in the 70s. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, in so doing, I had to cover a lot of emotional um, dynamics. And so there are some songs there which uh, are equally very important to me. So, But, but to be honest... Um, the idea, the concept that BMG and I came up with, along with my manager and, and all of their um, artistic people at the label, um, was for me to create an album which pretty much covered my song career from 1970 until the present day. And uh, in order to do that, I had to introduce a couple of brand new songs. And uh, so I did that, and those songs too, one is called Mine, the other one's called Dear Mr. Star, and those songs to me are also very, very, very important because they deal with more of a, a reflective time in my life when I'm looking back and um, looking at not only how blessed and lucky I am, but also looking at, at the, the tragedy that accompanies so many people's lives in our business. Right, speaking the way, the way they could have gone, the way they went, and the way I could have also gone too. Right, yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about that because you really okay. have, you've played with some fantastic people yeah. over the years. Uh, like I'm a huge fan of uh, John Wetton. You worked with him yeah, numerous times. Your your paths seem to intersect several times. Do you have any fond recollections of working with John that you'd like to share? Well, yeah, I mean John. Um, I mean I have you know positives and negatives, but Generally speaking, John was a huge asset um, in terms of uh, my songwriting and in terms of his time with Uriah Heep because something he doesn't get anywhere near enough credit for is uh, his ability, his skill as an arranger. He was a fantastic arranger. So he could take a relatively ordinary song and give it, colors and detail that uh, I didn't really think of 
um, you know, of course he was a great singer. Of course he was a very excellent bass player. But his skill as an arranger was probably one of the things that I'll always remember him for most. Um, obviously his demise is a very sad moment, mm-hmm. and you know, along with many, many others. But uh, I will always remember John in a very positive way. With a little help, he could have survived all that and, and uh, still been, a, I think, a very vital force in our business musically because he just had such tremendous skill. He was a good writer. He wasn't very prolific. But he was a good writer and, uh, like I said, a good bass player and a good singer. So he had all the assets necessary. He just had this problem and he was incapable of dealing with it. And like everybody else that succumbs to those problems in our business, there was nobody around that had a clue what to do to help him deal with it. Was that pretty much the same with like Gary Thane and David? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I've been asked many times, Tony, I mean, you know, we watched Gary. Uh, I've never been into heroin, so I, I have no real inner knowledge of what it's like to be addicted to a drug like that. But Gary was just killing himself, and there was apparently nothing we could do about it. But I've asked, been asked many times about, you know, if we could have done more to help David and Gary. And the truth is, yes, we could have. Um what mitigated against that was the pressures, the commercial pressures of the business. I mean, the band was tremendously successful. And whilst what I think we should have done was taken some time off and given these people the opportunity to, you know, get themselves straight, that was completely unacceptable to the business people because, in their opinion, we just had to keep going. And uh, uh, we just had to... You know, if somebody fell by the wayside, we just had to replace them. And, and of course, you can't replace anybody. What happened was with Gary, uh, who was the first to go, uh, during Magician's birthday, he was in such bad shape that um, there was basically four people trying to do five people's work. We got through the album, but the subsequent tour was a nightmare. We were basically pouring him onto airplanes and trying to pretend he was okay. Uh, and eventually we had to fire him. Um, you know, okay, so everybody says, great, you fired him and you got a new bass player and everything's good. Well, in a way, that's, that's, that's true if you're looking at it from a distance. But from the inside, what happened was the chemistry was destroyed. The magic that had made the band what it was and, and so on was just uh, completely destroyed, and there's no way to rebuild that. So, yeah, we could have done more, but we would have required the cooperation of all the business people wrapped around us, and they weren't about to do that. They didn't really care what happened to people. They just only cared about their product. Very sad. Yes, very sad. Very sad. But, you know, these are unique to my experience, but, of course, there are hundreds more who – uh, who fell in the same boat and, and suffered the same eventual consequence. Um, I am in the process right now. In fact, I just spent the last five days working with a writer. I'm, I've just written my first stage musical, and it focuses very much on the whole story of a rock star in the 70s from the very beginning to a very happy ending, actually. Um and in that, I had to I had to revisit some quite emotional moments, but you know, the, I, I didn't want it to be just about me. I wanted it to 
in some way pay tribute to the thousands of people like me, many of whom didn't make it. So I, I, that's been an emotional experience too. You know, I mean, I, I wake up every day, Tony, and, and I'm thankful for the day and I'm thankful for the opportunity for my health and strength. And I'm thankful whenever a little line comes along, a line of inspiration comes along and becomes a new song. So, you know, I could have very easily gone the same, same way. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's finish up this week's Ken Hensley feature with some classic Uriah Heep and one more solo composition. First, a Hensley-penned Uriah Heep chestnut called Easy Livin' from the 1972 album Demons and Wizards.
Easy Livin' by Uriah Heep from the classic Demons and Wizards album. Next, let's hear a song from Ken's second solo album called Eager to Please in 1975. This is Winter or Summer. Winter or Summer from Ken Hensley's 1975 solo album, Eager to Please. Now let's finish things off with a very proggy Uriah Heap suite that Ken mentioned earlier. This is Paradise and the Spell, again from the Demons and Wizards album in 1972.
Paradise and the Spell, quintessential heap from what Ken described as the band's most creative period, the Demons and Wizards album. So I hope you've enjoyed this first part of my coverage of rock legend Ken Hensley. In the next installment in a few weeks, we'll hear more of my epic interview with Ken, much of which will deal with what Ken is up to now and in the near future. For now, I will tell you that he has a new anthology coming out called Rare and Timeless, driven and curated by Ken himself and done in conjunction with BMG and Pledge Music. When I post this show to my website, progwatch.com, that's P-R-O-G-W-A-T-C-H.com, I will have links where you can find out more about this package. Even for a long-time fan like me, this collection promises some special treats. Speaking of progwatch.com, remember that it is your, quote, one-stop shop, end quote, for listening to the show or subscribing to the podcast, finding links to the bands and artists featured each week, and basic ways to get in touch with yours truly. And I love to hear from you guys, whether it's comments or suggestions, or even music submissions from great unknown bands trying to get heard. Please do get in touch with your old pal Big Tony. The website also has a support the show link. If Progwatch has value to you and you are inclined to possibly help me keep it going and take it to even bigger and better things, you can find out how to do so there. So for now, thanks for coming along for the ride once again. Please remember to be good to each other and prog on, my brothers and sisters. When you're chewing on life's gristle, that grumble, give a whistle. And this'll help things turn out for the best. And always look on the bright side of life. Always look on the light side of life. If life seems jolly rotten, there's something you've forgotten And that's to laugh and smile and dance and sing When you're feeling in the dumps, don't be silly chumps Just purse your lips and whistle, that's the thing Always look on the bright side of life Come on! Always look on It's quite absurd And death's the final word You must always face the curtain with a bow Forget about your seat Give the audience a grin Enjoy it, it's your last chance anyhow So always
piece of shit when you look at it. Life's a laugh and death's a joke, it's true. You'll see it's all a show, keep them laughing as you go. Just remember that the last laugh is on you. And always look on the bright side of life. Always look on the right side of life. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.